0: This is the dialogue box live with gwen Frey, and i'm joined today with william cheer we're actually doing this one on discord we're trying out a new feature they have on discord for uh allowing people in the audience to lo- ask us live questions so yeah william how have you been i'm
1: doing doing okay yeah hanging in there it's, <laughs> it's been a rough year i think for not just for me but, but a lot of people but yeah it's it's been okay recently
0: i'll bet i mean last time we spoke you had just shipped your game about like, I think we actually talked just two days after you'd shipped your game or something like that, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not long after. Yeah. No, well, we had both shipped our games around that time.
0: Yeah. I think I launched Kind like two days before you launched Manifold Garden. That was, that was raw. That was actually a really intense uh, podcast for me personally. How have, uh, how did the launch go? How did, how do you feel about it now that it's been a year and a half?
1: It's, it's gone really well. Yeah. We've had a couple of launches since then. We came out on consoles, uh, in august 2020 and then steam in in october and yeah we've just been we're we're still working on manifold garden you know fixing bugs and
0: yeah i remember uh, the uh what was it you had a new mode for taking pictures was that only on console
1: photo mode no that's on everything yeah that's on everything we wanted that to be there at launch but that was one of the um one of the things that we we cut
0: yeah just to, to get it out the door and stuff so let's see is there anything going through all of this did you as far because you've launched on every platform now right like you're on switch you're on the xbox the playstation you were on the epic game store
1: epic apple arcade uh, ps4 xbox one xbox series x uh, and switch yeah
0: all right which what were the hard ones what were the ones that you were like wow this was way more work than i expected
1: uh apple arcade is is pretty tough mostly because of the the number of devices that we have to support and there's always new you know new phones coming out there's new architecture the m1 chip so that there there's there was a there was a lot of work you know to get it out but also there's a lot of work to to maintain it
0: Mm -hmm. do they is it part of your contract for apple arcade you have to continuously update to their latest stuff um i don't
1: i've not looked at that in a while but i i imagine so yes
0: there was a bit of that for for stadia as well like when you were when we were doing um the obviously anytime you're on a new platform things change drastically um i, I think the consoles are a little bit better because at least by the time they're shipping you a dev kit they're pretty sure they know what their their software is going to be and it's generally not super in flux because you came out on the newest consoles too right
1: Oh yeah, yeah, with uh with Series X. Yeah, that one that one was challenging, but mostly just because we you know, we didn't have any existing games to look at for some of the features. It was like, oh, how how is this being done? Um, how do we want to handle that? Whereas with PS4 and Switch, you can kind of see like what the best practices are.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm still blown away that this was like your first game <laughs> and that you took it all the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, but- that actually surprises me. Myself as well, I don't know. Did I can't you quite believe we pulled it off?
0: Yeah, did you ever have a moment where you, like, when did you throw your your launch party? When did you officially say, okay, we've launched? Because you launched 14 times, as far as I can tell.
1: Um, yeah, we had a we had a celebration in November 2019. I'm, you know, really glad to, that we did it when we did, because, you know, a few months later, everything was shut down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we kind of, we had like the core team of eight people all came to Chicago and we hung out for a bit. And that was actually—they came to my apartment and we played the game together. and It was like my our first time, the whole team being together in the same physical space, playing the game at the same time. It was, it was amazing.
0: How do you? So you manage a team of people. It sounds like there was eight of you at the time. Does everybody talk to you directly, or is there a hierarchy where, like, people? Uh, do they talk to each other, for instance, or does it just like hub and spoke? Everybody does everything by talking directly to you.
1: Yeah, there were more than eight people at the time we launched. I think there were 40 people, uh, all told. Um, now, a lot of them were just people in another studio, like the QA team. But yeah, we did not. That's actually something that we're kind of in the middle of, of changing because when I was making Man Garden, I wasn't thinking long-term. Like I didn't think about what happened after launch and there was no there wasn't any plan to make a studio and a team and to keep making games. I thought this was going to be my only game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we just did not have any of these like long-term structures in place. I remember we got people joined the team in uh, I want to say like August 2019, You know, just like a month or two before we shipped. And we just gave them access to Perforce. We added them to our Trello and just told them to Grab a card, whatever card, and, pick, and just work on it, and then push it. Like there was no code review process. We weren't assigning tasks to people. It was just this free for all.
0: It's a scramble.
1: Uh, it was just a scramble. So I, I guess they were reporting to me. No, really, nobody was reporting to anyone. Um, we just kind of got. We just like boy, were trying to get the game out. But now, now we're we're um, we now have. Uh, Five, five or eight people kind of depending on, on how you count, because um, some people are freelancers that are like, on in, that work with us on an as needed basis. But yeah, we are, we've definitely become much more of a regular studio where we have like two week sprints. We have, um, you know, like a scrum board where we assign tasks and when you move it, you got to leave a comment. So stuff like that, we've like standardized communication.
0: So you've got eight people that are full time
1: no not not full-time okay i think there's um if you're including me there's five of us full-time
0: okay so there's five of you that are full-time and are these like employees because i mean i know you didn't have 40 full-time people right like most of those people were contractors that that were there for a specific task or something along those lines right
1: was a contractor and and even though it, just because that was kind of easier to to set up we didn't really have like a payroll system in place mm-hmm. so now we do have uh i think two including me there's three of a three employees now um I see and people who are contractors are because they they want to have other clients um mm-hmm.
0: so i mean yeah. I, I think there is something beneficial to having specialists that are part-time or contractors like that. It's always interesting to me how different people structure their studios or how it kind of becomes what it becomes based on what the game needs and what you want long-term and stuff like that, you know?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to have, uh, be able to sort of offer the the employee status to more people just because you have um, healthcare benefits and all that, especially here in the US, but it is with with remote it can be pretty tricky because you have to the company has to be registered to work in each state uh, those people are living in
0: oh yeah yeah like the the logistics of that are rough but i mean i i don't even think of it as the logistics of being 1099 versus w2 i just think of it like somebody can work for you and consider this your their full-time job even if they're a 1099 you know what i mean but uh so when i when i talk full-time i I don't necessarily mean that they have benefits and stuff i just mean that they're uh they consider this the place they're going to work, and this is their their occupation for until something goes horribly wrong. You know. <laughs> yeah, and-, and it's
1: really nice, you know, when you when you work with uh, contractors who have multiple clients, and you always have to be mindful of like scheduling your work around their. Like, we always try to give them a week or two lead time, just because we know
0: mm-hmm. they're
1: they're gonna be booked. Like for the um, the I think the QA companies that we work with they do a lot of work with uh, with other Apple arcade games. And so sometimes when there is this major, uh, I know a few, was it a few months back? A few months back last year, Apple had a pretty significant change to their privacy policy. And that meant a lot of games were updating and pushing a new patch. kind of around the same time. And I think the, I remember reaching out to the QA studio and they were booked for like a month straight.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's the, the downside of relying on contractors, is you do have to work around their schedule. But the upside is like, I I mean, it's there's certain roles where you just can't have somebody full time. Like, I, I can't keep a person. I can, don't have enough work for a full time QA person, but I value QA, you know? And so the, I can totally see how that's something where you would definitely have an outsource house, a contract house. Um, yeah,
1: we also learned a ton from them, just the way they file bug reports and the way they um, sort of document that process a lot of times you've been like oh we should this is how we should be formatting the communication um mm.
0: what did they did they use jira what was what did you learn
1: uh, they they usually use uh they were using our system so we were using trello at the time
0: i see trello for bug tracking yes <laughs> damn okay um, <laughs> I now
1: we now we've switched to notion and i'm not sure if that's that's a full it's like good for assigning tasks, but not so much for bug reports.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that definitely works. I use Trello personally for managing my time and my tasks and stuff. I've just never thought to use it for a full team. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, the reason why we were using it for bug reports is because we had set up this tool where players can report bugs uh, I see. directly from the game, and they'll send you know, their machine specs, their comments, and a screenshot directly to our trello board
0: interesting but then if you do that you have to have somebody whose job it is to be like these 10 bugs are actually the same bug you know and it's somebody's got to triage that and that's the yes. worst uh, so you, <laughs> you have a person that does that for you I take it
1: um not like a dedicated person I mean I do it uh producer does it it's it's yeah oh my God it's not a we don't have like a Trello bug uh czar. But um, but yeah, it is it is a lot of production work that comes from that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I like how you do things. I will say coming from AAA, there is, uh, we, oh God, I have so many stories about bug reports from AAA. Because as a general rule, your QA team is always, even at AAA, your QA team is outsourced, right? Um, but in AAA, your QA team is probably outsourced to a group in, in China or India or somewhere like that. And you've got like an army of people putting in bugs, and then you have a small army at home that's just triaging the bugs. Um, especially because we would get situations where, for instance, um, the, a company that that uh, our parent like Take Two would hire a, has a contract house they use for QA, and that contract house gets paid by the bug, right? And so it's well, not in their best interest to find out why a bug is happening. It's in their best interest if they see a bug with a hat to find and screenshot every hat in the game and make a unique bug for every single one of them. Um, and it's just like. It just becomes a whole, (laughs) I I just have like PTSD when I think about this stuff, about Jira and all this stuff. But I think I'm trying to think of what we did for Kine. Actually, for Kine, we did set up Jira just because it's what I know, which is really way overkill. I think probably what you did with Trello makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, they're all both owned by uh, Atlassian
0: Mm -hmm. now. Um, Yeah. This is the stuff you don't think about, the really boring, awful part of game development, which is at the end. Which I'm like dreading getting back into. Um, I want to stretch out the middle bit as long as possible. But we should talk about the the beginning bit because that's where you are right now, right? Like you're thinking about your next game. You did Manifold Garden did well enough that it sounds like you got five people full time, uh, and you're you're moving into to coming up with what's next. I'm assuming this. I could be wrong. Or are you like planning to support Manifold Garden?
1: We'd like to keep making games. That's something that I've I've decided. So we we definitely still need to support Manful Garden. So whether whether we want to or not, we're becoming a multi project studio. Um, I mean, I even though we're we're just kind of planning to like work on one game at a time, there is there is a lot of ongoing work with Manful Garden that is pretty significant. Um, so yeah, we're 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 you know coming up with, with ideas. And a lot of it, the work is just figuring out the process. I think my, my current project is not so much a new game, but the studio. And so I, I've been saying, well, I I finished building a game and now I'm building a studio and that sounds a bit backwards. It's usually you build the studio first, then you make the game. But mm-hmm. like I said earlier, I, when I was making Manifold Garden, I just wasn't thinking long-term, so there weren't, we didn't have good communication practices. Mm-hmm. Like it's it was fine, it wasn't toxic or anything, but I think you can kind of, when you're two to three people, you can get away with like bad habits that aren't very efficient. Um, So one example is we uh, we used to just say, I don't even know if we had a way for like communicating when a task was done, just somebody would move a Trello card and it wasn't always the person who, who completed tasks. So I remember one example was the, there was a steam review. We got a negative review where a player had discovered a secret path in their first playthrough. He just like did more exploring and went on this path that, that wasn't kind of the intended course. And then ended up not having a great time because when they first, then they came across a new mechanic and the game just did not introduce that to them Mm because the button prompts didn't show up. So I, I, Reported that as a bug. Except what I did was I created a new Trello card, and all the Trello card said was investigate this and a link to the to the negative view. Now I I reached out to the player because I was like, hey, I, you know, I really want to understand what happened, and you know, we had a whole conversation. But the programmer that was tasked to work on the bug did not have any of that context, so they fixed what they thought was the bug, moved it to the review queue the producer then tested it in the build, but they thought it was something else. And then it, you know, moved to the completed. And then we thought, I thought it was fixed. And then three months later, we had a form thread of the exact same problem. And mm-hmm. that was when it was like, hey, I thought I, I brought this to y'all and you said you fixed it. And it, it sort of gone through the like QA pipeline. How come it's still there? And then when we, you know, I mean, really I, I was kind of the source of the problem, right? Like that card should have had all of the information. So now the way we create, so that's kind of like a lot of the stuff I was talking about, where it was just this sort of scrappy um, uh, pipeline that kind of emulated uh, a real game studio, but didn't have all the proper information. So now when a card is created, it has the description of the bug, a screenshot, which platform, which version number, they expect a result, the frequency. And then every time it's moved through the, from one queue, like if it goes from up next to in progress to review, um, to complete, everybody is leaving a comment of like this, you know, a fix was submitted and commit 15241. This is what I did. Mm -hmm. And then when the producer checks it, they're like, I checked it on the PC version one five two eight nine and i can confirm this is the result that i am seeing and that's how that's what we're doing now so that's the stuff that we're working on as a studio
0: no that's quality that's awesome it only
1: took us you know two years to figure out
0: hey man i mean you you always starting a company is always like what's the saying it's like building it's jumping out of a plane and building your parachute on the way down like you just got to figure it out as you go
1: Especially because jumping off a cliff and like building a (laughs) (laughs) plane—that's another another way, way yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man, but yeah, I mean, you you figured it out, and that's important. And I mean, the game launched; it was well received. It's everywhere. You launched it on freaking everything. Um, How are you handling the? And now you've got. It sounds like you've you've solidified your kind of live support. uh, How you're supporting the game going forward? Because it sounds like there is more support to do. It sounds like you've, you've got a process now for QA, QAing and bugs and stuff like that. So your next big challenge, you said, is to to build up this studio. What does that entail? Are you thinking deeply about what you want to be doing in the future and what you what kind of studio you want to run? Or are you thinking yeah, about the yeah, games?
1: Uh, Definitely. I, I had to do a lot of uh, soul searching this this past year to figure out, you know, what's why does this studio exist? Why do we want to keep making games? Because, you know, for some studio there, what they prioritize is, is stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them, it's all about, you know, it's not necessarily about creative expression, but it's like, how can we keep working together as a team? And, um, I think iron galaxy in Chicago is a great example of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, they do a lot of porting. If I recall, like they, they're well, a,
1: if, if your livelihood is to solve other people's problems, you'll always have work. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then there are like I think other people, um, maybe not so much in the AAA space, but certainly indie space, who are just like interested in collaborating. So they don't want to have a, a company; they just want to work with cool people, and it's always project, project. Mm-hmm. Uh, every every the team makeup is dependent on the project. And I think for us, especially this this past um, the last eighteen months, really seeing how much that infrastructure work helps us make make the game it it may not have helped the creative process because that you know the way i made man for garden i was alone for the first three years and then two years the total man for garden developed timeline was seven years mm-hmm. In the first three i was alone then for two years it was just like a revolving door of people both as i was learning to work with people and we also just didn't have enough money to pay people for a long time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the core team joined in the last two years of development. So they're all they're all awesome at like shipping and their closers. Mm-hmm. But um
0: but now you gotta we, go I, back to the concept phase. Now you, you Yeah, gotta,
1: so yeah. we we want to so we we're like really good at porting the game to a new platform. You know the code base is set up for that we can kind of get it integrated and if there's a new platform, uh, we can integrate it into our build machine and get daily builds generated. Like we know where in the code base we need to change to make it run on this and what we can keep. And so, but, and I've I've come to really appreciate that work. So I think I want to, we definitely want to keep working with the team and this like infrastructure that we've built up, but now we have to learn, how do we work on the beginning of a project? So how do we come up with ideas? How do we prototype? How do we, um, how do we iterate yeah and that's that's something we're still we're still figuring out
0: that's definitely two very different skills too uh and like the concepts the inception phase i generally find you want to, uh i i personally find that you want a very small number of people in the early phase and then you want to balloon up the team with closers towards the end and you want to kind of like dramatically drop back down that's sort of the if i'm if i'm describing the chump squad strategy it is start with a small number of collaborators with the intention of you know probably quadrupling it uh in the last year
1: um yeah my my challenge now is the way i started manifold garden is not really a method that i
0: can or want to
1: recreate
0: <laughs> like you don't want to work alone for three years william
1: <laughs> like three four years without knowing what i'm doing i mean that is it was a lot of fun and it was interesting and i learned a lot but that's just not I, th- I think there's a good way to like keep the spirit of experimentation while keeping staying on schedule um yeah i think Math garden was a very creative driven game and and what i mean by that is we had i started working with saran our producer back in what is say 2015 mm-hmm. and her role was basically to like clean up my mess um like, we'd have discussions, and she would come up with a production schedule. And then I'd be like, uh, you know, too <laughs> I'd say, well, I, I've got this new idea, and I'm going to do that. And um, forget that schedule. <laughs> then she just have to go and make a new one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there is a certain and amount We're still of
1: working one. together, so she's, you know.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a producer's going to deal with that. I mean, the uh, in A, how do I put this? The- the, I think schedules are a lot easier if what you're doing is you're iterating on an, on an idea that you had in a previous game. You know what I mean? Like in AAA, yeah. going from Dishonored to Dishonored 2, for instance. If you were to make a Manifold Garden 2, if you were to say, okay, I know what I know what we do here. What we do here at my studio is we make first-person puzzle games that are experiential. And if you did that, then you could start with like your core tech right now. You could refactor. You could take these closers that you have. You could strip out everything that makes Manifold Garden what it is, and experiment within the bounds of what you know you're you're making. You know what I mean? Like that's definitely a strategy a lot of people would go with, and that would allow you to kind of keep your core team while also experimenting. Um, Where am I going with this? But I think like the the schedules are so hard when you're still in the ideation phase of figuring out what you're doing. Like, if you haven't locked down on that, if you haven't, like, have you locked down on that? Have you decided you were definitely going to, your wheelhouse is first-person puzzle games? Or are you opening up to more than that?
1: I don't think so. I, I think the the first-person puzzle scape space is a pretty tough one. Um, Interesting. But, but that's a, that's a slightly different conversation. I would say, yeah, we are. I mean, that is, you know, what you said earlier about, Okay, what are the building blocks that we have that we can sort of take into future projects? That is something that we are we are thinking about, and um, yeah, but but certainly, you know, you you're, you want to balance giving yourself time to figure things out while how do we kind of having stuff for the team to do and kind of creating like overlapping tasks. That yeah. is that that that's a that's something that I'm learning and figuring out? um...
0: Oh, man. I mean, I've been a part of a couple of studios starting, right? Like, I was a part of uh, the first studio I was, uh, like, I was there when we, one of the early people when we were founding a studio called Gargantuan that got renamed Secret Identity and made Marvel Heroes Online. I was there when we founded the Molasses Flood, and I founded Chump Squad. And it's fun and it's exciting, but there is something, it really takes about three games for a studio to find a voice to be like, here is what we are about. Like, Alan Hazelden is in this chat. Alan Hazelden makes grid-based puzzle games, you know? <laughs> and, and there's some studios like um, Double Fine. Double Fine is a studio that is very public about what they do, and they make games that are funny. Like, uh, you know, like you can kind of sum up what a studio is. And it takes a while to figure out what your studio is, and that kind of has to come from the top, you know? And I think it, it kind of almost comes organically. As much as you try to guide it, it almost comes organically from what you... Uh, like you make Manifold Garden, you sit back and you think, what did I like about Manifold Garden? Both as a, maybe like as a developer, like what was the role I liked? Did I like working with other people? Did I not? As a gamer, like what did I like about the game? And what am I going to make sure I hold on to because it worked really well and use for my next game? And those things that you end up holding on to become the things that define your studio. You know what I mean? That becomes Yeah. How- yeah.
1: Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about that a lot and I, this this is just a theory but i I think to me what what is most interesting about manfred and what we'd like to kind of keep exploring is you know 3d spaces like the that the the architecture like the puzzles were cool and I think they were they were a really um a learning experience for figuring out how to do level design um like communicating to the players through the space but I think ultimately what what i'm passionate about is not so much puzzles in and of themselves but but how they relate to a space like all the puzzles in manorford garden exist there to point out something interesting about the physics or the space or the architecture
0: mm-hmm. puzzle the the concept of puzzle was like a a canvas for you to work with what, what you were really interested in which was architecture that was uh um unusual or what's the right word for this?
1: Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. But that, that came that came halfway through development. I mean when I started the project, it was supposed to be just a just a puzzle game. Oh yeah. Um, it was very much like puzzle one, puzzle two. I was trying to do a portal clone and the architecture came about to create pacing so that players don't get puzzle fatigue. Because the early version of the game was just like one room after another and by the time people got to the sixth, sixth room, like 20, 30 minutes in, they were starting to yawn and uh portal, you know, I, I, if you listen to developer commentary, I think they talked about the same problem and the way they offset that is having the, um, uh, GLaDOS and the, the funny voiceovers and this narrative that kind of gets introduced. And a lot of people recommended that I have a voiceover early on, but I just knew I that I wasn't going to be able to write something as funny as Valve. Mm -hmm. So that's, the architecture was introduced to create pacing between puzzles. Like you solve a puzzle, you explore architecture for a bit, then you solve another puzzle. And then I guess like at some point, maybe in 2015, 2016, I had a conversation with someone and they made me realize that actually the game isn't a, the puzzles are not the, Point of the game anymore. The architecture is the star. I thought I was making a puzzle game with <laughs> architecture, but I'm actually really making an architecture game with puzzles. And I That see. really guided our our philosophy.
0: Interesting. So this is so you started out making a portal clone that ended up nothing like Portal, which is totally nothing. Everything drifts from where it is. Uh, what are other things we can say about your process? We can say that you you. I actually enjoy having structure. I know a lot of people who have, uh, if they're given a schedule, that gives them a great deal of anxiety, but it sounds like for you, you you wanted that.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm all about routine. And uh, uh, Alan Hazelden, he's in the chat. I know Alan for a while was doing the like nomad developer. And I remember talking to Alan and I was like, you think I can do what you do? And he goes, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Just like given my personality and how i i love i like having that routine and, and yeah you know uh if if i can kind of pick a perfect day as i wake up uh at like you know wake up in the morning 6 7 a.m i do like well, whatever my meditation my morning routine then i sort of eat the same thing i had for lunch the day before and same thing for dinner like that's how that's Wait, how i operate you
0: eat the same thing every day
1: no not not every day but but I, what i mean is just like it's sort of it's meal. I, I would have meal prepped uh, I during the weekend. And then like, I, as in like, I'm not figuring out that day what I'm going to eat. Like it's all no, that's, kind of that's scheduled a, and set up.
0: Uh, Obama has a bunch of famous quotes like that. He's like, I make a lot of important decisions every day. I don't want to figure out what suit to wear. I bought a closet full of the same suit. And every day I wake up and I put on the same suit. Like it'll be a clean version. But this way mm-hmm. I don't, it's one less decision that I have to make.
1: Yeah, I've worn gray t-shirts, this like Uniqlo gray t-shirt, I think for about 10 years now every day.
0: I mean, you have a uh, Not, a not, not the same t-shirt. Yeah, I have yeah. like 30 of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, shit. But you have 30 of the same t-shirt?
1: Something like that. I don't have the exact count, but it's just, there's a lot of them.
0: Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. There are definitely people that are, you're one of those people. And that's awesome. I,
1: I am one of those people. And I just find that really helps me to then like have the space to think creatively. And so that that structure is, is very important to my process. Um, I see. Whenever, like this week's been really stressful for me uh, through work and I've kind of fallen off that schedule and I can, I always know like, okay, this weekend I got to get back into that. Like when I'm, when I fall off that, that's when I, I'm not operating efficiently.
0: You're not in a routine and it bothers you. I mean, I go back. Yeah.
1: I have like a habit tracker. Um, Uh for like what I do every day. and um,
0: I mean, I think my my fear with that is that you can get set on a routine where you're doing the wrong thing, though. Or like um, you can get to a place where you've decided, all right, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to work on this idea that I, I believe in this idea, I'm going to do it. And you can become too attached and unable to let it go or realize that it's maybe not the best idea, for instance. Um, I think- yes,
1: there there is. Um, I definitely had a, so I, I definitely had a problem when I was before I shipped the game, where I was I became so comfortable in my routine that I I was afraid I wouldn't be able to ship because I thought I was like afraid of losing that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, like I needed that routine because the the thought of finishing Manifold Garden was just so overwhelming. Like you know it had been in development and this was I think about the. The fifth year of development was really tough for me. This was in 2017 mm-hmm. because I, you know, I started my going when I was 25. I'm I'm 33 now. And, uh, you know, who I was back then, you know, if you had told me I'd be working on this project for seven years, I'd be like, no way. And I had, I remember having so much pressure to want to finish the game before I turned 30. And then I turned thirty, and I was like, I gotta finish this game while I'm thirty. And I turned thirty-one, and I was like, oh, I guess this is just my life now. Um, like, <laughs> I did not accept the project for what it was until I turned thirty-one. Like, so six, seven years into development, I remember at twenty in 2017, I was still in denial. I was still telling myself that the game would ship in two months. And I remember being at um, I live in Chicago, and we the, the indie scene here isn't huge, but before the this pandemic, we were meeting, we would meet like maybe once every three to six months and play each other games and talk about it. And at one of these, um, uh, uh, someone said, yeah, I think you've got two years left on this project. And that was just, that was so devastating to me to hear that because I it had been in, and they were right. I, yeah, I'd been in but it, but the game had been in development for five years. And I thought I was two months away and I can finally move on with my life. And here they just told me I've got two more years of this. Um, But the, so creating the routine and just focusing on the day to day became the source of comfort. Like instead of thinking about how this project is going to ship and how I'm going to finish. it, I just thought I'm going to wake up, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to work on the game. I'm going to stream, eat lunch, stream some more dinner, workout, go to sleep. And I took a lot of comfort in that, but it did. But then, as we kind of got close to shipping, I was like, ooh, am i am I too comfortable in this little
0: you, you flip to the other side. You're like, what do i what do I even do?
1: <laughs> yeah, like how do I break out of this uh, this comfort zone?
0: Oh man. Well, I mean, um, in a way, it's good though, because I think uh, after the first game is when people actually tend to have the the worst time. I, I find. Most indies, how do I put this? A lot of indies, a lot of indie studios, especially ones that got funding and ship their game, they launch that first title and then they immediately collapse like within a year. And the reason is that they, um, there's a number of reasons for this. One of them, the biggest one is that a lot of times there's a vision that's unique for the first game. And mm-hmm. the team congeals around that vision. And then when the game comes out, they don't have another vision because they didn't have an idea for what they would do after the first game, you know? um and so the team falls apart that's like a really common one um another common one is just after you've shipped a game that's big that you've spent years on you know what it takes to make a game like that and you feel this pressure to make a game of that scope again and that's just daunting you know like that can just that can just overpower people i think that's one of the the biggest hurdles to overcome and it sounds like that's just not a hurdle for you
1: um yeah yeah i have been expecting this sort of post-launch depression and it it didn't i mean this, this, this the last 12 months have been have been very stressful um but mm-hmm. but most of that hasn't been from manifold ground it's just like with the world and life and yeah yeah of course you know relationships and all that but um i i think what helped me was uh i i i'm really into language learning and um I know during Manifold Garden, early on in Manifold Garden's development, I was like, I want to learn French. And I kept putting that off. Like, I'll, I'll start learning it after Manifold Garden ships. Um, and I remember, you know, at some point I was like, okay, I'm just, I just got to move on with my life. Like, I can't keep thinking I'm going to go to the gym after Manifold Garden ships. I'm going to start eating right after the game ships. Like, I just have to that, – that, that actually led to a lot of stress because then it felt like the game was holding up my life uh Um, yeah and uh i think that was around 20 must have been yeah 2017 when when the no no sorry 2015 it was like when indiepocalypse was starting to be this word and people were talking about that and i remember being like well if i ship the game and it doesn't do well i don't want to have nothing else going on in my life Mm -hmm. um and uh, to to, <laughs> so the first thing I did was I downloaded Tinder <laughs> to like to to live life fully.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh so, God! So Sorry, embrace,
1: embrace the world. Um, but uh, but yeah, but anyway, one one thing that that really helped was this. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I would always when when I get like spring break, I'd be like, I'm gonna learn French and I'm gonna become fluent in a week. And then I'd get a bunch of French books. And then the first day I would sit down and I'd study for eight hours. And then day two, it'd be four hours. And then day three, I'd completely drop off. And then like by the end of the week, I was no better in French than I was at the beginning of it. And I'd always, I'd do that like every break. Kind of set these like massive goals and not achieve them. Uh, And then I was watching this video uh, in this French YouTube channel and he brought up this idea of kaizen. I don't know if you've heard of this word before.
0: No, I don't think I have. Uh,
1: It's a Japanese word and it just means continuous improvement. So apparently it's like this management philosophy that they've used at Toyota where it's all, they don't really have this final goal in mind. They just want to be, the idea is you just want to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that really helped me because I was like, well, I'm not going to think about, instead of trying to become fluent uh, in a language in two months or even two years, all I want to do is just learn a little bit more than I did yesterday and become a little bit better. And that's all I focus on day to day. And I just kind of applied that. And I, I, I speak French better than I ever have before, uh, thanks to that. And I kind of applied that same approach to Manifold Garden where it's like, you know, that's, I was streaming uh, development daily and I just said to myself, all I need to do is show up and work a little bit on the game and that's it. And I wasn't thinking about like how I was gonna ship it. I just worked on it a little bit. And and that that really helped me manage expectations and like my anxiety about releasing and i just focus on like day-to-day showing up Mm -hmm. doing a little bit of work even if i didn't get anything done i was like hey well at least i streamed and i showed up so that's a win
0: yeah and i mean I power to you too because like i find streaming be extremely distracting like i at a certain point i just um like i kept doing it i i obviously stopped for lab rat because i it um I think it's good if you're lonely and you, like, need company. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's good when you're a solo job. was. Yeah, it's true. Early on, I found it to be good. But, like, later in the project, when I'm like, I have a list and I need to pound through this list. And there is no, you know, like, this just, I, I guess I took a very different philosophy than you did. I was like, the launch date cannot move. <laughs> Everything will stop until the game is done. I will optimize for getting the game done. And then I just crunched through it. Which I don't think was healthy. I think your way is much better.
1: Um, I'd have to switch to something like yours. You know, once we, uh, Apple kind of gave us a, a deadline, then we kind of like, like, OK, we got to go. We got to <laughs> yeah. get this thing out. We got to cut stuff. It's
0: those external, yeah, it's the external pressure that really makes game ship. Um, so for the good people in the that are hanging out, uh, you can hit the little button to raise your hand. We're experimenting with this. This is a new Discord feature. And you can ask any questions if you want to ask a question of me or William. Um, Otherwise, we'll just keep talking. Uh, but yeah, your your approach sounds beautiful. Um, I I wish I could. I mean, I definitely uh, I, I think that's a better way to go. I think especially early on, that's probably a better way to go.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to show you my I have like a notion board I use um, that has like I write down what I eat every day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, when I wake up how many hours of sleep I got it's maybe a little bit much
0: (laughs) no I mean I won't judge you for that I have a similar thing um I don't use it in Notion I I like have a I have a google spreadsheet for one set of things and I've uh I write down notes in um an app called Roam
1: oh I've started using Roam
0: yeah I I actually like it quite a bit it's expensive but I you know if you're a power user like if you really like to take detailed notes like I there's times when I I casually think about a genre that I think I want to pursue for the next game and so I'll write down notes or if I have thoughts on a video game I just played I'll write down everything I think they did right and wrong and I'll like tag it with certain things just so I have that for myself for the future.
1: How long have you been using Rome for?
0: Oh um I actually started Rome I started this year I started that one in January
1: Nice. Yeah, I, I learned about it because the, uh, the founder, uh, one of the co-founders, Connor, was talking about Rome on Twitter. And then somebody responded to him with a video of Manifold Garden. And he said, this is what using Rome feels like. And, you know, it's like a shot of someone going through a portal and then falling through uh, infinity with the world wrapping. And so he, he the, the Connor responded to me. He's like, hey, have you heard of Rome? And I was like, no, this looks cool. I'll check it out. And then it turns out one of the program members we work with, Lucas, is a hardcore Rome user. He goes to meetups with other Rome users where they share how they do their stuff. And oh my God. That kind of got me introduced to it. But yeah, I I knew it's, it was big, incredible. but I didn't think it,
0: I think it's great for taking notes. It's certainly a step up from me writing everything in a notebook. <laughs> I didn't know it was like uh, I I thought I was a power user because I use hashtags. Like I didn't realize there was like meetups and stuff. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll. I'll Lucas is a power user with a P.
0: Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, um yeah, for me it's it's good. It it's better because like I I always had everything in every place. Like I was taking notes in a notebook for for random like I have different notebooks for different like thought categories. I've got a spread spreadsheets for certain business stuff. I've got like a Trello board for tasks I need to do for Labrat. Um but it was just I just moved over to using Rome, and I'm kind of slow. It's slowly taking over everything else, which is nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the graph model just works so much better than like having to come up with a folder and not being able to have a document in multiple folders, even though it it's relevant.
0: Yeah, totally. All right. How about people in the chat? What do you guys use? Does anybody want to raise their hand? I really want to test out this new feature.
1: So uh, I think Dinosaur.
0: Yeah, raised their Raise your hand. Is that what that is? Yeah, let's give him a shot. Hey, what's up? Hey, not much. How are you?
2: Doing good. Uh, so for me, I really need visibility in my like to-do lists and note-taking stuff. So that's <laughs> why I really like having. I just have like a big sheet of paper on my desk all the time with, uh, you know, either like work notes or to-do lists or whatever. But just having it visible, 24/7. Like it's not in an app on my phone. It's not a web page. Like it's always there, and I can see it uh mm-hmm. so that's that's just super useful for me
0: yeah i think another another thing that like the note the reason why the notebook can never totally go away is because the satisfaction from physically crossing something out in a notebook is better than anything you'll get from like deleting a line in a in a you know spreadsheet or something like that yeah definitely mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, I, so just I, post- I sorry go ahead
2: uh so i asked in the chat actually i'm curious what what about rome i i, I the question is specifically like what justifies the price tag because it does seem expensive but it it's just not really clear like what the feature set is or what the advantage is over another note-taking app. It's like, I don't really understand what it is.
0: So you can, for me, the reason I like it is you, you can organize things by categories. Um, and any word can become a category at any time later. And you can link all the other words. So if you find that you've said, like, I'll take meeting notes. I'll mention something Alan said. I'll make a, a at some point later, I'll make a pet. Uh, a page for Alan, hashtag Alan Hazelden, uh, and it will and it will recommend every time I've ever um, mentioned Alan, and it'll uh, and I can scroll through and see every every conversation, like every time I felt the need to write a note about him, what I said or something he said or something like that. Um, it's it's weirdly good at finding connections between disparate things, I suppose. no um, oh,
2: yeah, that's really interesting. But actually, yeah, that sounds
1: unique. Yeah.
0: William, what, are you, what do you have to say about this? Why, why do you use it?
1: Well, I'm I'm still relatively new uh, to Rome, but uh, I, I used to have everything on paper, and I would just stick it on the wall in my living room uh, during development, and when people came over, I just looked like a crazy person, <laughs> like, you know, in, in, like, movies with a detective who's got everything taped up, and his friends are like, you gotta let this stuff go, man. <laughs> That's kind of what it was like. But the thing that that's really exciting for me about Rome is, you know, let's say like, yeah, if I have a book about, um, I don't know, like game development in the eighties or something like do and I was using Google drive, do I put it in like the history folder or like the game development folder? And with Rome, you just, you just don't have to worry about that. Like it can kind of be in both this sort of graph system. It just, it feels a lot more like how your brain works. Um, then so it's like a new paradigm for organizing information.
0: Yeah, because basically what I don't know how you do it, but what I do is there's like a page that gets made automatically each day and you just write down notes ad hoc. Uh, and then they'll be combined later based on uh, words or how you structure them and that sort of thing.
2: It's actually re- <clears throat> reminds me of a lot of how the people who made Slack have talked about Slack. And how they were—they were kind of trying to replace like you know huge email chains with a single source of like all information about your project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their—I mean, essentially their big innovation is that it's like a searchable chat database. Uh, but this seems like a little more, like a little more thought-out version of that.
0: Yeah, I, it was It was meant for people who like, read and have to research and have to take notes on lots of different books, but also want to take notes on other things throughout their day or other hobbies and that sort of thing. Um. And it just expanded, from what I understand, to, to be just pretty popular among the tech crowd, is my understanding. I'm actually late to the party. A lot of people have been into this thing for like two years or something.
2: OK, I am i don't have anything else to say about note-taking. I'm going to sit down. But that's <laughs> fair, yeah.
0: All right, does anybody else have any questions?
2: Yeah, <clears throat> sorry, I do. For William, when you were creating um, Manifold Garden, I, I just want to say I love that game. It got me into the non-Euclidean games, and I just fell down the rabbit hole. Um, but like someone asked it earlier, I think it was um, the A Gamer. What were your inspirations for like creating the game besides Portal?
1: Um, there was the the scene in Inception uh, where they fold Paris in half and start walking up the wall. That was that was a big one. It um, the
2: it's I don't a know movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Where they're in the okay. dream space and they. They kind of start walking up change gravity that was sort of the initial one um portal was probably just because i portal was in my steam library i'd signed up i guess when portal 2 came out valve had a promotion where if you got a steam account they gave you portal for free and i signed up for it a year ago but never got around to playing it so it was just like the first game i would played in 10 years um and that kind of inspired me like hey here's a core mechanic come with puzzles we got more i mean the game was originally called relativity because we were i was trying to make the uh, mc Esher print but i think some games you know there there's all the all the first person games i played um so i know the one that comes to mind for a lot of people's anti-chamber so so uh cube the witness i think some ones that aren't as obvious is starseed pilgrim uh if you've played that game we I, I love that game. I, I almost kind of wish I had taken that title. But there's a ton of similarities like with the, the dark mode in Manifold Garden. I took that straight from Starseed Pilgrim and the the kind of gardening aspect as well. Um, so it's not it's not Star Pilgrim in 3D, but there's definitely a lot in the in like what Starseed Pilgrim does that Manifold Garden adopted. Uh Nasan is a, it's a it's a free game now on Steam. That was a big influence as well. The spaces. I think we drew a lot of inspiration from architecture, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright to Dalwendo, and there's also this manga called Blame. It's like Blame with an exclamation mark. I think it's actually supposed to be pronounced Blom. There's a Netflix movie adaptation now, but that that is um, that just has a lot of imagery of these like impossibly large spaces that we wanted to create the same feeling in Manifold Garden.
0: All right. Does maybe like...
1: a Oh, Yes. Um, and then a follow up to that. Like, do
2: you have any? I mean, um, like other non-Euclidean games? Because I feel like there are only so few of them out there.
1: And like, do you yeah. know any others? I think it's because they're as they're a pain to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's not that many. Um... I think Maquette came out recently. I don't know if that's really... I think that might be non-Euclidean. I don't know if... Non-Euclidean is kind of a weird word. I like Manifold Garden is technically not non-Euclidean. It's just impossible geometry. There's like a mathematical definition and it doesn't fit into that. But I think if you're talking about just games that mess with physics, the recent ones are super liminal and Maquette. um, Yeah. yeah, oh, they're, yes, they're that's really right, right
2: McKenna was a good one.
1: Yeah, those are the two that come to mind. Um, there are probably smaller games out there, but I haven't really been keeping up with games that are releasing.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to make games and also play games at the same time. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting with me. This has been Gwen Frey and William Cheer, and you've been in the Dialogue Box.